Thank you all for being here tonight. I uh, thank God for this opportunity to uh, bring before you the word of God. I'm just going to pray real quick because I deeply desire this message to be totally of God and nothing of me. So if you guys would fancy me to bow your heads and close your eyes and pray. Father, I come before your presence tonight and I thank you for the blessed opportunity you've given me tonight to present your word to this, my church family. I ask you, Father, that I be removed, anything that is of me, and that only thing that speaks out of this, your vessel, would be the words of your of word of God and not of mine. So, Father, I don't know the needs, but you do. I don't know the desires of our hearts, but you do. I don't know what's going on within all of our lives, but I'm pretty sure you do, for you are God who sees all things and knows all things. And so tonight I ask that your word will speak to us, that your word would help us and encourage us to move forward in this coming week for your glory and your honor. So, Lord, steady my heart and my mind as I do your will tonight here in the, in the midst of my church family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, <clears throat> we're going to start in the book of Job, chapter 1. When, uh, I think this has to be everybody's favorite book of the Bible, the book of Job. Only because in life, the book of Job seems to be more relevant and more of a reality than anything else, especially in these last days. So let's get into the book of Job, chapter 1. I do want to let you know that we do suffer. And I know that the suffering that we go through, I know that the pain and the heartache that we go through can really at times be a hard pill to swallow. Many times it can be something that we can question, well, God, why are, are you letting me go through this? You know, why do I have to experience all this? And am I not trying to serve you? Am I not trying to do what's right? Am I not trying to walk in the path of righteousness? And if I am, why is all this happening to me? So tonight, I would like to encourage you in, in the word of God in regards to that very question. Suffering is going to happen. If you lived any length of time, you know that a lot of the suffering that we go through is our own fault for the foolish choices we make, right? We're going through the book of Proverbs in Sunday school, and we realize that, you know, we, at times, if you're actually honest with yourself, we do some really foolish things. A lot of the times, and we'll see one example of here, is that God allows things to happen in our lives. And in the case of Job, I'm not going to say nothing fancy. I'm not going to give you any verses that you haven't already experienced or read yourself. But I do want to encourage you um, in regards to the word of God, because at least in the life of Job, God's encouragement or the problems that Job was going through was because God singled him out. And I wonder if many times as we are walking with the Lord, as we are trying to live and experience this journey of walking with God, does God not every now and again single us out and the enemy of our soul is like, well, it's because, you know, you protect him, sort of like Job. We'll look at that. And then we're going to look at two other examples tonight in regards to our three enemies. The title of tonight's message is Let God. So I hope by the end of tonight, each and every one of us will just let God. Just let God. Just let God. So come with me to the book of Job chapter 1. I'm not going to read everything. I'm just going to pick out a few verses um, in regards to this chapter. 
But Job, or Job, however you want to pronounce it, chapter 1, verse 1. And there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. All right. So we see here, chapter 1, verse 1, Job is being put out there as it says there, a perfect and upright man who feared God. Okay. Then we look at verse 8. So as you're going through the verses, he has some children. He has some stuff. Job was a well-to-do guy. You know, he was a shrewd, you know, really smart man, feared God, did things the right way. Sort of like we're learning in Proverbs in our Sunday school. So he wasn't a foolish, um, he wasn't foolish with what he had. He was actually really wise and God blessed him. And he had a lot of kids too. Uh, So he had obviously business smarts and a lot of time on his hands. And then in verse 7, it says, and the Lord, so Satan is in the midst of, uh, in the midst of the presence of the Lord. Right. And he's he says he's walking through to and fro and and checking everything out. And the Lord says to Satan, look at verse seven. The Lord said unto Satan, when has thou, you know, when whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan. And the Lord said unto Satan, has thou not considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth. Can you imagine the Lord saying that about you? There is none like you in all the earth. There is no, there's no better hall than Titus Hall in all the earth. Can you imagine God saying that? Or there is no dash like Michael Dash in all the earth. That's, that's a pretty big compliment. And it says, Consider my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man, an upright man, one that feareth God and is Jewish Eve and ex- Jewish evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, now this is where the trouble starts. Does Job fear God for not? Like, are you kidding me? Is Satan truly now trying to reason with God in regards to the motives of a man when he's telling him he is upright and perfect? And Satan is like, Lord, are you telling the truth? And he says, has thou not made a hedge about him? And about his house and about all that he hath on every side, thou hast blessed the work of his hands and the substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. So we see that the enemy, excuse me. The original, actual original message is a hater's going to hate. But we got to let God more than we got to let haters hate. We got to let God. Right. And we got to let God because the reality is the enemy, our first hater, right, is Satan. He is the hater of our souls. He does not want anyone here. And if you are a believer, I hope this message encourages each believer here. If you're not a believer, then this is not a problem you're going to face. And in order to face this problem, you need to become a believer and enjoy what we get to enjoy. But for all of those that are saved and all of those that believe in God and all of those that have trusted God as Lord and Savior and all of you that have trusted God as Lord and Savior and are fighting the battle with all that you can, know that we have the number one hater in our lives, which is Satan. And yes, God can bless. And yes, God does bless in many different ways. And Job was an example of that. And the devil, number one hater of all time, says, Well, it's because you blessed. 
It's because Job is blessed. Everything he touches, he's got the Midas touch. Everything he touches turns to gold. If you take that away from him, he's going to curse you. He's going to reject you. And we know the story. The Bible goes on to tell us that he allowed for Job to be touched. In the blink of an eye, everything is gone. He didn't curse God. So what does the number one hater got to do? He's got to go back and find out something else to hate on. And we see the story. We see the story. And it only and it doesn't stop there. Okay. it also shows that Job had three friends, four guys total who come in. And the smartest thing that they could ever do is sit down for seven days and say nothing. They open their mouths. You know how it goes. At the end of the story of Job, if everyone would go to Job chapter 42, the last chapter of the book of Job, as you're looking there, just remember that even though Satan is the hater of our souls and Satan is looking to how we can derail your walk with God, looking for how he can trip you up, looking for how he can accuse you of something, remember that we have a way more powerful God who is on our side. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so at the end of it all, Job experienced loss of everything. Wife misunderstood. And she's like, what are you doing? Because they're only seeing the outside. The wife, the friends, everyone in Job's life was only seeing what we and what you and I can see. And that's what's in front of us. But there was something deeper. And you can see as God shows us in the story of Job that he is going before the, the enemy of his soul, the enemy of the soul of Job, which is Satan. And he's trying to have this conversation. And then every time, every time Satan says something to try to accuse, God is like, wait, have you noticed that he is upright and perfect and he strays away from evil? He despises evil. As he does that, the Bible says, Job chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here, I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I, I abhor myself and, and repent in dust and ashes. So he realized even perfect Job, after all that he went through, after dealing with his haters, right? And, and the biggest hater that he had was Satan. He comes at the end of his story and it says that he understood something. So even Job, who was upright and perfect in God's eyes and God is saying, look, this is my boy. This is my guy. And yet, even, God, even though God was representing and saying, this is my man, this is my guy, he still understood something that he was still far off. So as we're dealing with hate, as we're dealing with situations in our lives that are, being, that are making us struggle, and Job went through a struggle. I don't know how many of you guys have gone through struggles or are going through struggles, but there is no struggle like the one Job did. He lost everything. And his wife and friends misunderstood. Could you imagine the stress level on this man? Could you imagine you're sitting here, you're scratching yourself because you're itchy. You're all of these things going on and you have words upon words pounding, bringing you down. 
And yet, Job stood firm. And then at the end of the scriptures, it shows that God says to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for they have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Job realized that he didn't know the kind of God he was really serving until God revealed himself in more fullness. And even then, God is saying, Eliphaz, you don't know what you did. And you don't know what you were saying. You were speaking out of turn. And then the rest of the chapter ends with God telling him, you're going to have to get these sacrifices. And the only one, the only one that's going to mediate for you guys before me as God is my servant Job. So the one that they were hating on, the one that they were putting pressure on, was the same one that God used to pray for them in order for God's wrath not to happen into their lives. So you're saying, Adam, so the hater of our soul is Satan, and obviously there are people that are going to be haters in our lives, right? But we got to let God, because when we let God and we honor God and walk honestly before the presence of the Lord, guess what happens? Even our enemies have to come to us in order to come before the Lord. So if you're experiencing a battle between your... If you're experiencing a battle in your walk with the Lord because you're trying and you're trying to pray and you're trying to live right, you're in the word and you're trying to apply the word and nobody's perfect, right? In, in a sense, there's only one perfect is God, but we're trying to live like Job, right, in front of God and, and walk honestly before him. And the pressures of this world and all these things happen. And why do bad things happen to good people? Honestly, it's because there's really no one good but God, as Jesus says. So bad stuff is going to happen to bad people. But when we walk in the presence of God, do his will, he will, because he can. So just let God. So instead of having arguments, instead of fighting and figuring out, Lord, why am I going through this? I've been saved. I am a new Christian. Or I've been saved for X amount of years, and why is it from one battle to the other? Why is it that I go from one war zone to another? Why is it that this happens to me, and as soon as I'm done with this, I don't even get a chance to breathe, and I'm back into this one? It doesn't matter. It could be that there is an enemy in your soul, for your soul, the devil, Satan, who's looking for ways to trip you up because God might just be saying of someone here tonight, have you noticed my servant? Have you noticed my son? Have you noticed my daughter? They're living right. And Satan is like, no, it's because you bless them. It's because you protect them. It's because your hands all over their lives. So let them feel something and watch them squeal and come back and say, oh, I'm giving up on God. I'm giving up on all this. And if we stay firm and if we do what's right and serve God for who he is and not for what he gives, we see what happens at the end of the life of Job. He is blessed. Way more than he was blessed in the first. And then his friends come. His friends. With friends like that, who needs enemies? His friends come, and they have to come before him. And Job prays for them. So there's also another caveat here. As this is happening, as we're going through these situations that we're letting God, we're just letting God, we got to realize that there are some principles in our lives that we need to hold on to. And one of these principles is, in order for me to be forgiven of God, i got to be willing to forgive somebody else. I'm just, that's just the word of God. I cannot hold anything in my heart. 
I can't live Philippians 4, 13, that I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me if something is hindering that by unforgiveness, resentment, or whatever. So we got to let that go. We have to let God deal with that. Amen? And as we let God deal with that, even our enemies will have to come and realize that they were wrong. And as they're wrong, we get to pray for them in love and see God restore, not just them, that they restore the blessing in our lives. So Job said, I'm going to let God And it worked out pretty good for him. I'm going to let God, and I'm praying in the same faith that it's going to work out for me. And I hope that if something is going on in your life, you let God, and I guarantee the testimony of Scripture that it will work. God cannot lie. God cannot go back on his word. If you let God, if you let God in the spiritual warfare that we deal with on a daily basis, If you let God and he doesn't come through, then I'll go with you right out of this place and denounce everything. That's how confident I know that if you let God, he will, because he can. All right, so let's go to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let's go to the New Testament. As we let God, Galatians chapter 5, we have another hater in our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This hater is the flesh. You're your own worst enemy at times. Satan doesn't have to do much when we have to battle our own flesh at times. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then... Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Very famous, well-known verse, especially in this church. But I have to say it again. This I say then, walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Okay? And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh, um, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh And these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But, but, if ye be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Second hater that we have to let God be God in our lives is the flesh. The Bible says that if ye walk in the Spirit, which means that you can walk not in the Spirit or out of the Spirit, Right. If you're walking out of the spirit, this doesn't apply to you because you just need to repent. But if you are walking and and, and trying and fighting to walk in the spirit, there is a source that God gives us, a strength that God gives us to overcome our second hater tonight, which is our flesh. And that is the power for us not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when we're warring against ourselves and we're saying, Lord, I'm trying and I keep stumbling or Lord, I got these little, you know, and and we can dismiss it by saying these. uh, I even forget what they're called, but my little pet sins or whatever, you know, these are just things that I have to deal with. No, you don't. No, you do not. The Bible says that if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when that hater creeps up and says, 
man, it's cold. And a couple of mornings, it's been cold. Just stay in bed. Don't worry about it. Ah, don't read your Bibles. You've read it already. How many times have you read the Bible? You're going to read it again? God knows your heart. You don't have to pray so long. You don't have to ask for that. Don't worry about it. Or something can happen in your home. Somebody can get on your last Puerto Rican nerve at home, and you can say, I am going to act. I know not all of you are Puerto Rican, but, you know, fill in the blank. Right? You can say, I am going to act in my own, or am I going to act in the spirit? And I don't know about you, but for this Puerto Rican, it's hard. It is hard. It is hard for me to say, I am going to act in the spirit. And, I guarantee, and I'm telling you to my shame that when I do not walk in the spirit, oh, my goodness, it is so wrong and things go so bad. And like a dog with his tail in between his legs, I got to go back and make apologies, restitution and try to redeem what I've done after the Lord is like, you see what you did, you knucklehead. So I'm not talking about this without any experience. I, I live this out. But I also know that when I walk in the spirit, Things happen in my life, even in the midst of turmoil, that honor God. It really does. And I need to walk in the spirit way more than I do. And, I, and I'm pretty sure if we're honest with each other, we all need to walk in the spirit just a little more than what we do now. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Your flesh, the number two hater in our lives, we just need to let God take care of that. Don't worry, because if you start thinking, well, then I just got to do this to overcompensate for this. I'm going to do that for overcompensating for this flaw. I'm going to pray more because I messed up. I'm going to fast because I did this wrong. I'm going to do more outreach because I kind of stumbled here this week. I'm going to do that. Then what you're doing is you're living a work-based salvation. And God has not called us to live a work-based salvation. He's called us to live in a relationship with him. So walking in the spirit demonstrates that relationship. And we will not satisfy the lust of the flesh. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if you, re- if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say that if you sin... Go do 10 times the work and then come back to me and we can talk. That sounds more like a Catholic thing than anything else or a Pentecostal thing more than anything else. When God is saying, just live in the spirit. And if we walk in the spirit, it's because as believers, I can also choose to not walk in the spirit. But if you be led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So the flesh has no power over you. Imagine living a life for Christ with no chains, with no law holding you down. Imagine walking in the fear of the Lord and having nothing that's holding you back because you are walking in the spirit. That's a believer. And if we can get there as a church, and I pray that we do, can you imagine this world has no, this, there's nothing this world can hold us back from. And there is, I believe that if we were to walk in the spirit and to be, as the Bible says, in Christ, I believe we could see a great revival happen in these last days. And I believe we are living in the last days. So hater number two, our flesh 
How do we do it? We got to walk in the spirit because the only source of power I have is the spirit of God to give me the strength to say no to myself. So let God in your flesh. Let God. If you guys would go with me now back to the Old Testament. So that's the Testament before the New Testament. And go with me to the book just before Job, which is Esther. The third situation we're going to look at tonight is other people, unfortunately. And we saw a little bit of that in the example with Job, other people. Unfortunately, we are not going to be everybody's cup of tea, right, or everybody's scoop of ice cream. There are going to be people that are going to look at you at work, within your family, I hope never here, but even sometimes within the church, are going to look at you and not fancy you all that much. When that is obviously totally against what the Bible says, that we are to love each other. How does the world know that you're my disciple, Jesus said? Anybody. How, do God, how does the world know that we are Christ's disciples? Say it again. Say it again. Yeah. The way we love each other. So the way we love each other says a lot. More. Because God says the world is going to know. The world is going to know by how we love each other. Joe, uh, Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. I'm not going to go in through all the history of Esther because Pastor Chris preached that and you can always go back and listen to it. But in Esther chapter 5, there's a situation brewing And Esther, Esther's the queen, and she's she's told to go before the the king. And the king, if he didn't call, you know, you're going to lose your head. You're going to die. But she went anyway at the request of her uncle Mordecai. So I'm not going to focus too much on Esther, though I'm going to give you this. This is free. No charge. I'm not charging you guys extra. But Queen Esther, she was a bad lady. The Bible shows what she does. And if you look, this is Pastor Shorter's fault, always making me read stuff that's historical and some things. So I read something that's not biblical history. And there is stuff written about this queen who helped with the Jewish people. And she was a bad queen. Like she did some good stuff to help the people of Israel. What am I trying to say with this is, guys, watch your queen because you don't want to cross your queens. You don't want to cross your queens. That's free. That's free. You know, I'm not going to charge you extra for that. But Esther chapter 5, okay, queen goes before the king and says, hey, I want to have a little festival. I want to do something special for you. And you know what? You could bring Haman with you. Um, I want to do something nice. All of a sudden, king's like, it's whatever you want. You're the queen. And they go and do it. Number third hater are people. And I'm focusing not on Esther, but Mordecai. Mordecai had a hater. And his name was Haman. Haman was a hater. He was a hater. He goes and he's pumped up. His chest is inflated. His head, you know, he's trying to balance his head because it's inflated and he's leaving this inner this you know 
interaction with the king and with the queen. And he's like, man, I'm the man. Nobody could touch me. I'm the man. You can't, the queen wants me. It's, he says, you know, I could imagine Haman in his mind. He's like, listen, the king and the queen are going to throw a party, and I'm the only guest. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, I got this. I got this. You can't touch me. He leaves, and all of a sudden in his, in his pompous pride, there's a guy named Mordecai, and he is like, I don't care who you are. I ain't moving for you. Ooh, and he got so teed off. He was so mad. Whoo! Haman was, whoo, he was hot. He was hot. And the Bible says, and that's, that's verse 6. And the king said, so that's the Bible according to Adam. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, what is thy petition? And it shall be granted unto thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Then answered Esther and said, my petition and my request the, uh, and my request is, if I have found favor in thy sight of the king, and it pleaseth the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall perform for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. And when Haman, then went Haman forth that day, joyful and glad of heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. He's like, ah, you ain't going to get me down right now. But he's going to get him down. And it uh, says, nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zechariah, his wife. And Haman told him all of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his ch- <clears throat> excuse me, children, and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above all the princes and servants of the king. Verse 12, Haman said, moreover, yea, Esther the queen did not let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow I am invited unto her also with the king. Look at what verse 13 says, though. Yet all this availeth me nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Oh, it was taking him off. He was mad. He was mad. He was upset. He was, he blew a gasket, right, at this Mordecai who, how are you going to tell me, how are you going to disrespect me by not moving? How are you going to disrespect me by not sitting in my seat, talking to my child that way or talking to me that way? Who do you think you are? I built this church. Don't talk to me like that. Then said Zechariah, his wife, and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made, fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak unto the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereupon. Then go thou and marry, marry Lee with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. You see when I tell you, don't mess with a queen? Man, Zechariah is cruel. Make a gallow. Oh, don't mess with a woman, man. On that night... Verse chapter 6, verse 1. On that night, could not the king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles that they were read before the king. So all of this is happening at the same time. Mordecai, I mean, uh, Haman is not, not there anymore. He's, he's lost it because he's so mad. And then his wife was like, well, you know, just Bill Gallo, you know, 
you know, we build gallows all the time. You can get them at Walmart. And then all of a sudden they get this stuff. But at the same time, look at how good God is. So if there's any Mordecai's here tonight, and the reason why Mordecai was hated, come to know, we're going to see in chapter 6, is because he saved the life of the king. So it says here, and it was written that Mordecai had told of big, big, th- hmm. yep, and Teresh, the two king's chamberlain, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. So we see that Mordecai, as they're reading his chronicles, now he wanted the book read because he, was, he wasn't sleeping. He's like, just bore me to death with something. Let's get these chronicles. Bore me to death. I'm going to fall asleep. Right? So once we start, this guy begat this guy. And this guy. But it, it didn't happen that way. As he's reading these chronicles, he's like, oh, wait. Mordecai saved my life. I forgot about that. Does it sound a lot like Joseph was in prison, right? And he tells the dreams to the guys that were in prison with him. And two years passed by. And then the, the, was it the baker was like, wait, I forgot Joseph, right? Same thing with Mordecai. But just like Joseph, Mordecai was true to his God. And I tell you, believer, that if you are true to your God, Haman ain't got nothing on you. Because as he's going through this chronicle, all of a sudden he gets this bright idea. Hmm, what can we do? What has been done? And then all of a sudden, as you read the story of of Esther, in in the book of Esther, you read the story, you know, here we go. Hater number three, Mordecai. He's like, wait, he's thinking, I mean, uh, Haman, he's thinking, all right, I'm going to kill this guy. But then all of a sudden, the king is like, so what should we do to the person that I'm impressed with? And Haman got even bigger. He's like, oh, Mordecai's going to have to do something because now I'm going, I'm going for gold. So if you were impressed with somebody, do this, 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 and that. And the king was like, I like what you're thinking, bro. I like what you're thinking. I'm digging you. Go do that to Mordecai. Ugh, right to the heart. Right to the heart. And I could just imagine, hey, have you ever done something that you really didn't want to do and you did because you had to? Anybody with, with brothers and sisters that are younger, you know, or whatever, you do things and you're like, oh, and you're dressed and you're like, ah. And then, oh, fix the tie and you want to take that tie and like really hard and, you know, like, you know, type of thing. I feel like that's what Haman did or Haman felt like doing. You know, in his mind, as he's preparing Mordecai to receive this honor, in his mind, he's killed him like a million times, you know, many different scenarios. And yet, because Mordecai was obedient and faithful to his Lord, even his enemies had to give him honor. Why? Because Mordecai let God. And I tell you tonight, church family, again, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't need to know because, you know, that's not my business. But I do know that if you are fighting with the enemy of your soul, hater number one, just let God. If you are fighting with enemy number two, your own flesh, just let God. Just live, live what God has asked you to live. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about how even people within our own home might perceive or your perception. Just live and let God. And then number three, when you have haters like Mordecai, Just let God. Just do what's right. 
Just follow after the Lord. Just seek, and God will always reward those who do what's right and seek after him. The Bible says again in uh, Philippians that we can do all things through Christ Jesus, who, is, who strengthens us. So if you are a believer, you have the source of everything, the source of power, the source of containment, the source of holding yourself back from anything or, or anything that's fleshly. It's all in Christ. You just have to be in Christ. You have to walk in the Spirit. And as you do that more and more, you sin less and less. So you can have an overcoming life, and God can look at you as he looked at Job and say, when Satan is walking around and he's like, Satan, what are you doing? Just hanging around, just hanging around. And he's like, well, have you checked out? Have you checked out my servant, Eric? Have you checked out my servant, Bob? Have you checked out my servant, Jim? Have you checked out my servant, whoever? Have you seen my daughter? Like, she's living right. And as God begins to, when you humble yourself, the Bible says, who exalts you? Hmm? God does. So when you humble yourself before the presence of God, who's exalting you again? God is. God is. And when God exalts you, it's because he knows that you have tapped into something that the rest of the world doesn't know. And some Christians that are trying to get there still haven't gotten there yet to realize that we got to be patient with those types of Christians is that there is a power that's working in us and each and every one of us to get us to that point where when God says, have you seen my servant David? That's my man, that's my boy, because he knows that when it comes down and when Satan's going to have his chance to be proven wrong, because that's all he's ever going to be proven. Satan has never been proven right when he's talking to God. It's always wrong. Realize that. Satan has always been proven wrong. He knows that my servant, my son, my daughter is tapping into a power that's not their own because I can do all things through Christ Right. It's through Christ. I can deal with whatever's coming into my life through Christ. I can handle any adversity through Christ. Lino talks to me really harsh. I can love him in Christ and deal with it in Christ. It's all about where your power is coming from, because if Adam is walking in the flesh and Brother Lino, which he has never done, crosses me, then I'm going to look at him and there's going to be division within the body when there should never be division. And Lino, thank you for never doing that. But if I'm in Christ, it just slides right off because my heart is tender to forgiving because I know that when I cross Lino or I cross Eric or I cross Zacchaeus, I need to come to God and ask for that forgiveness, and I'm expecting him to forgive me. But how can I expect to be forgiven if I'm not willing to first forgive? That's tapping in that power. That is holding on to that truth. All right? And then another one I like to give you guys, and this is also free of charge, and I, just to wake, to wake you up. So if you don't have a Haman in your life, is it because you're a Haman? And we need to watch out for that. Because how many times do we covering it by, I'm doing this to help you grow spiritually. 
I'm doing this because I want you to be a better Christian. And you're actually just a hater like Haman. When that person comes to you and they start getting under your skin, tapping that last Puerto Rican nerve that you have that you don't want nobody tapping into, just let God. Let God. Because I know that when you walk in the spirit, you will not gratify the lust of the flesh, which is retaliation. And God will always come through for those who seek and trust in him. So I hope I was able to encourage you tonight with some of these passages and with some of these ideas and topics. I just want you guys to realize that we have to encourage each other. We have to uplift each other. We have to understand that we need each other because, as we said before, the mark of a true church is how we love each other first and then how we love the world. The Bible also teaches love covers a multitude of sins. And I'm finished with this. Love covers a multitude of sins. The love of God, as he died on the cross and said, it is finished, covered all of your sins. There is not a saved person here in this room tonight that has not experienced the fact that love covers a multitude of sins. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That means you're covered. Signed, sealed, and delivered. You're covered. But it also says that we, as we are marked by love, let that love cover a multitude of sins as well. The choice is ours. You can walk in the spirit and you can walk not in the spirit, out of the spirit. It's up to you. But I encourage you tonight that if you're dealing with any heartaches, if you're dealing with any pain, if you're dealing with any suffering, attacks, any anguish of any kind, I only gave you three examples tonight because that's all the time I had. But the reality is it covers every aspect of our lives. But it is up to you tonight, believer, to choose. I choose to walk in the spirit. I choose to follow after God. And as I choose to walk in the spirit and I choose to follow after God, then I can let God in every situation of my life. Even at work, people that are scheming, lying, cheating, They're getting advanced in a job. And here I am, same job, same thing for the last couple of years. Just let God. My spouse isn't saved. Just live and let God. My children, just let God. Inner turmoil, just let God. Haters, left of you, to the right of you, to the back of you, in front of you, just let God. Because if you don't know... I'm really going to finish with this. If you don't know, the Bible says, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise, up, rise against thee in judgment shall, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the saints of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So whatever might be happening, if you walk in the spirit, in Christ, believe God, and you live your life, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. So this week, 
I ask you guys to trust God. Just let God. Just let God. Because he will. I know he can. We have scripture that has given us testimony after testimony. And I know that if we had an open mic, many people can testify the same thing that God has been when you let God. So I know it's true. I know it's real. But you have to choose it. You have to desire it. And you have to go after it.